Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. Sometimes when many of us think about legal issues, particularly those which may involve complex scenarios, there's an expectation that time will need to be served. The impression many people have is that uh, cases that end up in court, is they're going to take time, lots of it. Well, today we're going to look at cases that operate at least initially on the fast track. Uh, and we'll get into some details about that. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell. And our topic today is injunctive, injunctive relief, and we'll view it in the form of temporary restraining orders, or TROs, as we'll refer to them throughout the podcast today. My guest will be Attorney Jennifer Burt of Lavelle Law Limited, and we're going to take a, a good look at how a TRO can be utilized to provide immediate, uh, though perhaps, obviously, by definition, temporary relief. Uh, a lot to cover today, Jennifer, so I'm pleased you're back to help us out with that. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Jim. Uh, now, before we talk about the legal aspects of a temporary restraining order, um, can you just give me a couple of quick examples of situations in which one of these might be utilized? For example, if you're an employer and you share confidential information with your employees, such as client lists, um, and now the employee is contacting your clients and starting up a competitive business, or if a competitor named their business the same or similar name as your business. Uh, what, uh, another example would be if you found out that a lessee is absconding with your vehicle that you leased to them. In these types of situations, you need immediate, re- immediate relief. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I think that helps us kind of set the stage here now. I assume by the limited amount of knowledge I have, and you can help share with us today, that you know this type of action uh, is, is fairly extreme and not to be taken lightly by the court. So what, what lengths does a plaintiff need to go to to prove you know, the merit of this type of a uh, complaint? Well, a, a, a TRO is an equitable remedy that's issued in exceptional and emergency situations to preserve the status quo until the court has an opportunity to rule on the motion for preliminary injunction. And this is actually codified and codified in both Illinois statute as well as the federal rules of civil procedure. And what you would need to do to obtain a TRO or at least uh, put in an affidavit and file the motion for temporary restraining order in the court is four things. You have to establish that you have a protectable interest, that you will suffer irreparable harm if the restraining order does not issue, its remedy at law is inadequate, and it is likely to su- succeed on the merits. And when you mention a protectable interest, does that represent something that is unique or very specific to the, to the business that's claiming harm at that point? It's determined on a case-by-case basis, but it's essentially that you have an interest that you're entitled to protection. For example, like the employer who needs to protect their interest in their business or a lessor, who discovers that their lessee is absconding with all of their vehicles. And then tell me a little bit about, um, you mentioned the four steps there, one of which was irreparable harm that, that the uh, business or individual would incur 
um, you know, how is that defined? How does that factor into the evaluation of the court then? It's actually defined as harm that cannot be prevented or fully rectified by the, fi by the final judgment after trial. So the harm is occurring now, and if we wait, the harm can never be rectified. And is, in, in a case like this, I think you had also mentioned that, um, you know, if, if you simply wait for the normal course of law to, to play out, that, that it would be too late, that the, the damage would be done. So this is a case in which um, you're almost superseding the, the standard law and saying, I, I need something immediate? That's right. And, and how does that, you know, in terms of proof, what, do, what does a plaintiff need to show in, in terms of uh, verifying that? Well, the, the third element is the remedy at law is in it inadequate. Mm -hmm. And what that means, what you have to allege is that the damage award would come too late, like the money award would come too late to save plaintiff's business, so no amount of money would give you your business back. Or the plaintiff might not be able to finance the lawsuit against the defendant without the revenues from his business, and the defendant is threatening to destroy that business. The damages might be unobtainable from the defendant because it may become insolvent before final judgment can be entered and collected. And the nature of the plaintiff's loss may make damages very difficult to calculate. So that's how you prove that you have uh, the remedy at law is inadequate, meaning you'd go through an entire lawsuit and try to get a judgment and maybe get it two years later. Okay, which which certainly sounds like um, you know in in certain circumstances could could be proven. But I, I was even more intrigued by the fourth element that you mentioned there to obtain a, a TRO, and and if I heard it correctly, it was you know the likelihood of success in in terms of you know moving forward with this. And and that um, make sure I understand that correctly. But what exactly does that mean in terms of what uh, what has to be proven here? You want to raise a fair question as to the existence of the claimed right that you're claiming that you're entitled to. You want to lead the court, the court to believe that he will probably be entitled to the relief prayed for if the proof sustains his allegations and make it appear advisable that the position of the parties stay as they are until the court has an opportunity to consider the merits of the case. And this is done by way of an affidavit, typically. Um, the information we're getting today comes to us from, from Jennifer Burt, uh, an attorney with Lavelle Law Limited, um, sharing information, a, a very detailed outline for us here on injunctive relief, uh, particularly temporary restraining orders. Um, a great, great first pass at this. We're getting a lot of information. Um, and I'll just say, if it's coming at you a little fast, uh, we're trying to get a lot in, but Jennifer recently posted an article on this very topic at lavellelaw.com. Uh, if you if you visit the website, choose the resources tab, then select articles. You find you know the details that we're talking about here that you can review, and quite frankly, there's a number of other articles there from Jennifer and her colleagues that uh, are also very valuable. Um, so I would certainly make a, a point to stop there and kind of catch up on some of this. Um, so we, we've kind of taken a look at the first steps here now, Jennifer. Assuming that the initial hurdles are met, um, what's next for the for the plaintiff in pursuing a, a temporary restraining order? What do they have to do next? The plaintiff has to obtain a bond, and that is in case the temporary restraining order is wrongfully entered and causes damage to the defendant. So that's how the court kind of protects itself and the sheriff protects itself. Uh, the amount of the bond is discretionary, so the court will tell you what the amount would be, and, but it should be related to any potential damage that the defendant would suffer if the temporary restraining order was wrongfully entered. 
Okay. And this, the second thing, actually, in addition to the bond, would be that the plaintiff must also ensure that, the affidavit, that they create an affidavit, that that affidavit is made on personal knowledge, and the person who signs the affidavit has to state on his own personal knowledge that certain things exist. Okay, now I don't want to get too complicated here. We're, again, we're trying to cover a lot in a short time, but I also understand uh, from uh, you know, kind of looking at this and some of the information you provided, the article I referenced, that there's really more than one one type of, of TRO. Um, can you give us sort of a, a quick overview of the two different types that exist? Yes, there are there are two types. There's one without notice, and then a TRO with notice. Okay, and take us through the differences there, if you would. The TRO without notice, it's generally disfavored by the courts. If you seek a TRO without notice, the motion has to be supported by a verified complaint or an affidavit, like we discussed earlier. Mm -hmm. And any order granting that TRO without notice must be endorsed with the date and hour of signing, define the injury and state why it's irreparable, explain why no notice was given, and it has to expire by its own terms, not to exceed 10 days. And then after that 10-day period, or maybe even less, you would want to set the, the motion for preliminary injunction for hearing at the earliest possible time so that you're not continuing with this TRO for any real lengthy amount of time. Okay, and, and we talk about with or without notice. That is uh, to the accused party? That, uh, that there's That's been right. some damage. Okay, okay, great. All right, so the then if, if... Yeah, I just, thank you. So if, if uh, the court does not generally look favorably on those, and I assume that they prefer it with notice, and, and what, what are the mechanics of that then? The notice isn't what is normal in uh, complaints that you would file where you have to actually provide personal service and then give them 30 days to respond to your complaint. Um, the notice could be as little as uh, you receive a telephone call 30 minutes prior to the hearing. There was one case that said that. Uh, so you want to at least be able to show that you did let the uh, defendant know what was going on and that there was a hearing scheduled, and then the uh, defendant would have an opportunity to appear at the hearing on the temporary restraining order. But remember that the temporary restraining order is only for about 10 days, so even if one is entered, you can you would go in and actually have an evidentiary hearing on uh, all the facts in the case. So the plaintiff would be able to provide their evidence and witnesses, and the defendant would be able to provide their evidence and witnesses. So it wouldn't any of this relief wouldn't go past ten days, unless it was extended by agreement. And certainly, that's the the temporary part of it. The restraining part of it is is the other critical part here. And when when you seek a TRO in court, are you uh, basically applying it to a particular individual or other business and, and saying, you know, this person or this company is, is doing me harm and it's specific um, to that individual or company in terms of the, the restraint that you're looking for? Once the temporary restraining order is entered, it restrains the party from doing the act requested as well as the party's officers, agents, employees, attorneys, or any person who's actively participating with them who receives actual notice of the temporary restraining order, all of those people would be restrained from doing the act. And as an attorney who, you know, 
is called upon to represent people in situations like this. You, you know, you talked about some of the proof that um, uh, the plaintiff has to provide to the court. As you meet with a client, you know, what sh- what should they bring to you in terms of materials and, and proof so that you feel like you've got a, a good opportunity going into a court to, to validate the need for a TRO? Well, any and all documents that would show uh, that that whatever they're claiming occurred occurred. You know, email. Uh, maybe a deed, uh, any da- any correspondence or anything that would show, for, for example, I guess a good example would be is if you have uh, an employee who is competitively starting up another business and using your patient list, any email from that employee to your uh, uh, contacts or any email showing they're uh, reaching out to the patient, that would be helpful to attach to the verified complaint and also the motion for TRO. And that person, the person, they would also want to bring whomever it is that has that personal knowledge. We'd have to know their name, their information, and then that person would testify as to any evidence that they have that would support their claim via an affidavit. Okay, and and uh, I think we've got a whole other podcast lined up in my head already, which uh, we've got 30 seconds or so left here. But, you know, if a TRO is successfully put in place, again, it's temporary. It's, it's up to 10 days or so, roughly. Um, sounds like that's really the first step then. Can you give us just a quick glimpse of what would happen after that time expires and, and what the next steps are in the court? The next step would be the preliminary injunction, the hearing on the preliminary injunction, which would enjoin the person for a period of time to not contact your customer or to not remove uh, the vehicles from wherever they're, they're supposed to be. So the next step would be actually proving all of, the, all of the elements of preliminary injunction via an evidentiary hearing through witnesses and documents and then seeking that order for preliminary injunction, which would be much longer than the temporary restraining order. Well, the one thing I wish we had more time for was to continue this discussion, but uh, somehow we've managed to fit a lot in our allotted time here. So I want to thank Jennifer Burt for being with me. Uh, great conversation today. Um, so thanks to her. Thanks to uh, you for listening. And, again, LavelleLaw.com, great place to stop by and take a look at uh, detailed information like this. Um, then you can follow up with any of the attorneys over at the firm, get more information and assistance as you need it. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back again next week with another great conversation. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com.